So we gave him the pulpit, and you guys heard him last week, Pastor Luis. I'll tell you what, if you haven't heard his sermon, go online to take a listen to it. You need to listen to it. Everybody, I have to say, was touched. It was the biggest one-time love offering that's ever been given in this church's life. Do you know how much we gave last week? Do you know how much both congregations gave last week? $14,500. I want you, uh, if you can, I want you to take your hand and just go like that. Extend it, but flat. And then if you have your offering to give, you go like that. Now here's what happens. When you go like this with your offering, God can take it. And that's scary. That's scary. He can take it out of your hand. I don't, I don't like that. But also... Also, when your hand's open, He can give back to you. If you squeeze that, now squeeze it. He can't take it, but He can't give you back anything else. The point of this is that God has put us on earth, God has put us on earth not to be wealthy and just get rich and to be a cow who has the biggest pasture so He can eat some more and get fat for the slaughter. That's not why we're here. We're here to be a channel of His grace. A channel, a distributor of His love and mercy. And you were last week, so thank you. I can't tell you. Like when Ken and I were, Ken came into my office and he said, you know how much they give? 4000 bucks? No, fourteen. It blew me. I just can't believe it. And that's with the regular offering being just as just as it has been. So thank you. I, you don't hear that enough. I think sometimes all you hear from preachers is, Give! No, thank you. Thank you because it's, a, it's pleasing to Him. And that's why we're here. So give yourselves a hand. Give, give God a hand what He's done among us. If I could have the ushers come down, let's just pray for the offering. And let's bow before our mighty God that He would really do great things with what you guys have given. And let's just trust Him with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, are in awe of You in so many ways. I'm in awe of You just how You work in the hearts of people. When a need is presented, when Your people see the pain of others, they give. I think often the church is maligned and it's easy to, in a sense, mock people. But most true Christians don't know what their left, their right hand is doing from their left. And so things aren't promoted. But this is something to celebrate. Thank you, God. Thank you. And so, Father, we pray that this would result in answering your Lord's Prayer, that this would bring honor and it hallowed your name. Because, God, we can't wait for your kingdom to come. I can't. But uh, in the meanwhile, may your will be done on earth here as it is being done in heaven. And God, continue to give us our daily bread, the things we need. We'll give, we give to you, but we also, we also need, so please meet our daily needs. Father, forgive us our sin and help us to be just as merciful to others when they sin against us. Some of us, God, are so easily insulted and we hold grudges. Forgive us. God, please lead us out of temptation. 
deliver us from Satan and his snare. And Father, ultimately, may everything we do, may everything we preach, what we sing about, even as we, we are working at, at our jobs, may it go back to you because yours is the kingdom. You own it. Yours is the glory. You deserve it. Yours is the power. You have it, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Who here, who here grew up with a father? That's good. I wondered, Mike. I really wondered. I wondered about you. But grew up with a father, and I, I have a feeling you, you might raise your hand at it. Who here grew up with a father who was a firm and faithful believer in duct tape? Raise your hand. Yeah? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. My dad worshipped duct tape. He worshipped it. He taught me it. How to use it for almost any job in the house and body and wherever else. I have personally witnessed my father using duct tape in both the most simple and creative ways you can imagine. The obvious jobs, he repaired garden hose with it, fixing leaks and inner tubes, blow up pools. Sometimes we'd break the handle on the axe, he'd nail it on the edge and then tape it with duct tape around. Tape grips on baseball bats, patching holes in our tent, fixing a tear in the car upholstery. Just get the right color, you'll never know. <laughs> Vinyl siding and screen doors and windows, that's a normal job. I've also seen him use duct tape to keep batteries on a remote from falling out. Anybody do that? Raise your hand. I do that all the time. Those little things just don't fit. They fall off so easy. Patched uh, ripped jeans. You put it on the inside and stick it inside. Yes, yes, Jackie. They're better than my sister. You, get those, you used to get those patches in the 70s that said, keep on trucking, and she'd have them all over her. It's better than that. Rebinding book covers. Look at my Bible, my old Bibles. Rebound with black duct tape. Works like a charm. Splicing wires, fixing broken taillights on cars, taping my Nerf hoop to our bedroom door. Works great. And of course, fixing sinks and tile and bathtub. But then there's those times when his ingenuity at duct tape always amazed me. It's incredible. He fixed stitches on my hand and shins after games with it. Repaired my football cleats. Kept open up the car windows when the... When the Motor went out, you just tape it on the side and the car window never goes down. Anybody ever do that? See, boy, you do too. My dad had a Chrysler Cordoba. You remember Ricardo Montalban Cordoba? The doors always flew open, and so it was a gray, got gray duct tape. So when we took a left turn, the door wouldn't fly out. My sister wouldn't fall into the highway. It worked great. He'd repair picture frames with it, use it as a lint brush. He once kept his pants up because he lost his belt with it. He threatened to use it on my mouth when I got in fights with my sisters. I'll never forget that. And of course, it was his standard tool for wrapping Christmas presents. Duct tape. I remember he dropped a key behind the refrigerator, put a, a big ball of it on the end of a stick, put it in there, got the key out, worked like a charm. My brother and I would play this game with duct tape. We'd make this big ball of duct tape. We'd wait till it got completely dark out. We went under the street light and threw it as high as we could. And if you caught it, you got 10 points. If it hit you in the face, you lost 10. It was duct tape ball. It was great. Duct tape works for anything. 
anything. The only problem, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. All these different uses makes us laugh, but it doesn't fix the problem. It's a cheap fix. Our family calls it the Hanyak repair. It just doesn't work. And sadly, when it comes to living your life and the way that you grow your soul, most of us have it duct taped together. We do things that just don't work, but we think they do. Duct taping seems to work, but in the end, it fails because it's not the right way to do it. It's not the right way. Life is meant to be lived right. And the way you live right is with wisdom. Look at it like this. Is something right and true because it works or it seems to work? Or does it work because it is true? Does duct tape really work? It seems to work, but does it really work? I'm going to argue today and for the next couple months as we go through a new series of Proverbs that since God designed life, since He made it, since He's the Creator, when He tells us how to live it, it's the right way to live it. Most of us, though, don't listen and we duct tape it together because we feel like it. Or that's just the way I want to do it. We ignore the right way to do it. Proverbs is God's wisdom. Proverbs is not promises. It's not a bunch of promises. Proverbs is insight on right living. The best way to put it is principles, wise principles, on how to live. That's what Proverbs is about. And that's what we're going to do is we are going to start in the book of Proverbs, open up to chapter 1, and watch how it begins. This is written by Solomon. He's writing to his children. Actually, there's three different authors, but the majority of Proverbs is written by Solomon. And we're going to read the first second seven verses. In the, the series, this Next, this summer, it's a summer series, it's just going to be called Wisdom, the Study of Proverbs. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to learn how to gain wisdom this summer. The title of this message this week is called Rule Thyself. There's a great philosopher's phrase, know thyself. To me, wisdom is the phrase, how to rule thyself. How to not let feelings and passions and stupidity destroy us. It's how, in the other way, to rule thyself in life. To, be, to begin, we need to de define two terms. First, we need to know what it's meant by proverbs. What is a proverb? 1 Kings 4.32 tells us that Solomon spoke over 3,000 proverbs. And people from all over the earth came to listen to his wisdom. He was the wisest man ever. Remember, he, he, God said, ask me anything. 
He's given a kingdom. Ask me anything. And the first thing he asked for is, can you give me wisdom so I can rule these people? So God gave Solomon wisdom. And Solomon, it said, had 3,000 Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a compilation of some of his most famous ones. They're not in any particular order. You can read different commentaries that try to make sense out of the structure of Proverbs. But really, they're a compilation of wisdom in different areas of life, and they kind of vary. So we're going to be taking his wisdom topically because Proverbs doesn't necessarily go through a categorized outline. So he wrote these Proverbs, and he was sending them to his son. And in some ways, Proverbs is for young men and young women and how to prepare for the storms of life. That's the big part of it. But the word proverb has an obscure Hebrew meaning. It does mean to teach. Underneath the surface of it, it means to teach, but it means to teach it in a way where it will be transferable, where it will be caught, and it will be spread, and it will be remembered. It's like a great marketing slogan. Actually, the marketing slogan is Proverbs 25.11. These are sayings that are... Apples of gold framed in silver. Proverbs are meant to be seen in your mind. Not just heard, but seen and remembered. You can remember an apple of gold in a picture of silver. That's what Proverbs are. They're beautiful sayings that have intention. You both see them and hear them. In modern day, we have what are called marketing campaigns. It's the same thing. It's like a marketing campaign. Proverb is trying to communicate... Heavy truth in a short amount of words. It's kind of like old wives' tales or old sayings. For instance, let me, I'll show you what I mean. Repeat the conclusion. A stitch in time. Too many cooks. It's not the dog in the fight, it's the... See, you remember it. You remember it. That's what a proverb is intended to do. It's intended to remember. It's funny, I've got a commentary in Proverbs. As I got ready to study Proverbs, I got two. Usually when I study, I get a commentary on the grammar, the words, the Greek and Hebrew, and then I'll get a commentary on how to preach it. I have, a, I have one on preaching Proverbs. Proverbs is 31 chapters, but in my commentary, there's 635 pages. Some of the most boring reading I've ever had. And it's just the opposite of what Proverbs' intention is. It's meant to be clear and concise. One of the problems... Baptists, specifically Baptist preachers like myself has, is we exhaust subjects with words. Sometimes we beat sermons to death, like beating a dead horse. So as you hear it, all right, I've heard enough. Can you stop? But we don't have the guts to tell the pastor because we want him to like us. Man, it keeps going and going because we think we can exhaust. And I'm going to tell you every nuance. A proverb is not intended to do that. It's intended to actually give you something to think about so you will Chew on it and keep thinking on it. And it will be what's called generative. It generates ideas in your brain. One of my favorite Proverbs, listen to this, is Proverbs 12, 16. I love this. Because it's short, quick, and it stings. The fool, the fool shows his annoyance at once. But a wise man overlooks an insult. No more needs to be said. That's the point of Proverbs. Second term is wisdom. 
What is wisdom? Is it the same thing as intelligence? No, it's not. Is it being smart? No. No. Do you go to a university to get it? No, you don't. You can't go to Wizard of Oz and he gives you a certificate for wisdom. Nope, you don't do that. Do you get it with a degree? Uh Uh-uh. I love this definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability, it's the ability to cope with life. That's the best definition I can think of wisdom. It's the ability to cope with life, and it's a God-given ability. Wisdom is learning to how to rule yourself. That's why it's called rule thyself. It's learning how to overcome passions and pleasures in the storms of life while I make the right decisions. It's interesting. In the book of Ezekiel, the Bible uses the word wisdom in explaining how the navigators chart the seas on their boats. They use wisdom. And the idea is that they know they have learned how to navigate the stars, endure the storms, chart the seas. And if you've ever sailed, you don't learn to sail by learning it in class. You've got to go do it. That's wisdom. It's applied intelligence. It's applied intelligence. So we're going to apply it to a number of subjects. Here's some of our subjects. We're going to apply it to the tongue. Derek gets that one. I gave that one. I can't wait to hear Derek preach on it. We're going to apply it to friendships and family. We're going to apply it to God's king. We're going to apply Proverbs to character, internal character, to poverty and wealth. Because there's all kinds of stuff on how to get rich and how to get poor in here. We're going to talk about pride and anger, what comes out of pride. We're going to talk about fear and work. And we're going to talk about women. I'm sorry. That's not, a, that's not a male, that's a statement that helps you to know who's wise, what kind of woman to look for and run from. So young men, you need to come to that one. That will be great. And ladies, you can stay away if you want to. I'm not going to berate you. I'm going to actually encourage you. Some people think I'm, some people think I'm patriarchal, which means I'm male-dominated. Do you know I have four sisters? My best friend is my mom, my wife, and I've got two daughters. So I am pro-woman more than anybody you've ever met. And if I don't say that, my sisters can tear me up. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I just want you to know. All right, so before we go on, I want to encourage you on a practical side. I view Proverbs as a one-a-day vitamin for your soul. I want to encourage you to do this. As we go through the book of Proverbs, Proverbs has 31 chapters. You might have heard this, but I do this occasionally in my life. I will for a month. Go through the book of Proverbs. So let's say it's August 10th today. Go through Proverbs chapter 10. Read through it and pick one phrase out that you will memorize and work through the day. Tomorrow do Proverbs 11. Read through the whole chapter. Find one phrase. And they're like vitamins that strengthen your your soul. It's pretty cool. So we're going to begin with how how to get it. How do you get wisdom? Because this is a very practical book and there are a lot of verses on how to actually get it. Specifically when it comes to wisdom. Because this book's on wisdom and how to practically apply intelligence so he's going to practically tell us how to obtain wisdom. I've once heard it said that God pours wisdom into you. So if you're a Christian, you have wisdom already. It's actually getting it out. You've probably heard Philippians where it says work out your salvation. 
So God has worked into you through the Holy Spirit wisdom. Your job is to, to tap into it. The best way to put it is I like to view getting wisdom like getting water from a well. You've got a bucket, you've got a rope, and then you have the well itself. The water's already down in there. How do I get it out? We're going to talk about that. Look at verses 5 through 7. It gives us some insight on how to get wisdom. Verse 5. Let the wise hear, let the wise hear an increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so it's very clear. It's very simple. We make things so complicated. It begins by hearing. Verse 5, let the wise hear. Hear. Jesus says it all the time. All the time. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says that all the time. Because here's what he, he, after he said that one time, he said, because you are like soil. Each of you are like soil. Some of you are fertile. So when you hear the word, it plants in there. And it builds a, it builds a plant that bears tons of fruit. Some of you are like thorny soil. The, the worries of this world choke your stuff out so you no longer listen. Some of you are like rocky soil. Where you hear it, you're excited, but then it doesn't bear anything. And then some of you are like a path where your mind is like hard brick, bounces off of it. Hear it. Listen. Have tender soil where his word lands. Did you know the success, the success of a sermon to some degree has nothing to do with the preacher? To some degree. A sermon is only as good as the listener listens. You could have a horrible preacher preaching scripture and you can be immensely blessed. I want you to look at something. Go to the book of Ezekiel. Stay in Proverbs. But watch what Ezekiel says about the people in his day. Ezekiel chapter 33. Starting in verse 30, Ezekiel is the last major prophet after Jeremiah. Starting in verse 30 in chapter 33, As for you, son of man, and son of man is like just in that phrase, that's a title for Ezekiel, or you could put in there preacher. As for you, preacher, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each of his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And so they're talking to each other before they come to the kind of the church service. So like, come on, man, you'll love it. Let's go hear it. You like coming to our church. Man, you'll love it. Come on, let's go here. Verse 31, and they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. They will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs 
with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. So in other words, what he's saying, my people, they love to go to church, but man, they don't listen, so you might as well just sing to them. Because they ain't going to listen to you. Hear. So hearing is the first stage. It's like the bucket that is able to, the ear is kind of like the opening of the top of the bucket, and the brain is like the bucket that catches the water. The first thing is hear. Hear. Second thing, we go back to Proverbs, is he says this interesting thing. He says, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of their wise and their riddles. And the idea is that these words are riddles. They're deep. They're dark. You've got you to contemplate. I'll read chapter 2 in a second, but the idea is you don't just hear, but you've got to seek for truth. You've got to want it. A riddle is a hidden, it's a hidden trove of truth. If I give you a riddle, it's not just handed to you, you have to discover it. It's taking the time to lower the bucket deeper into the deepest part of the well so you can get the sweetest, coolest water. Don't just skim the top, that's where the silt and the dust and it gets warm up there keep the bucket going down so you can get the real cold water every time i think of jill i I like to say hey jill jill why don't you jill teaches biology at the high school why don't you just give your kids cheat sheets all the answers and quit teaching them she'd like to do that but she doesn't do that so my kids come home and say you know what miss evers makes us work for this stuff why That's how you learn. Seeking information is how you own it. Wisdom hides from you. you got to seek for it. We just want it handed to us. Give me a cheat sheet on wisdom. I'll tell you how to be wise. You have to. These are written in riddles. You've got to open the riddle and figure it out so it can become your truth and your knowledge. Do you seek? things or do you just sit are you a finder or are you a flounder i just wish somebody helped me find it look for it did you know that god purposely hides in order to be found because when you find him he becomes yours so he hides he hides from you wisdom does too wisdom's a character quality and a byproduct of knowing god wisdom comes from him and that hides too you've got to seek for it so the third thing is fear verse 7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge we're going to talk about fear more extensively but just on a short idea fear means reverence it means awe. it really means i trust in the character of god i believe him and the issue with fear is authority authority means he's he has the right to tell me what to do it's interesting take the word authority What is the root of the word authority? Author. Author. He is the writer of reality. He wrote the story of this world and how it works. If that is true, does he not know what he's talking? If he wrote this story, don't you think he knows how to live in the story? The best way for me, fear is... Fear is grabbing that rope and trusting and letting it go down in there. I trust that he'll deliver with water. And then the final thing, I want you to go to Proverbs 11.2. This isn't necessarily in Proverbs 1 and 2, but look at Proverbs 11.2 because it gives one more insight on how to get it. And this is more about the character of the person that gets it. 
Did you forget your Bible up here? Don't notice her behind the curtain. Your mom fell? Hey, let's pray for Deb's mom right now. She fell. Let's pray for her mom. Father, we pray for Deb's mom. I know she's uh, getting older and she's frail. I pray that she's okay and that you give Deb wisdom and how to care for her mom. Please pray for her, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. But look at Proverbs 11.2. says, When pride comes in comes disgrace, but with the humble, with the humble is wisdom. So how do you get it? You get it through listening or hearing. You get it through seeking. You get it through the fear of the Lord, but also it takes humility, trusting that God is smarter than you. That's really what it is. Trusting that God is smarter than you. And this is where God wants us. I remember a moment, it was the first time I really started working hard. And it was hard, hard work. And my dad would often... My dad liked when I had to work hard. He liked to see me in pain. I don't know why, but he loved it when I came home and I had blisters on my hands and I was exhausted. Remember one of the first days I came home, I said, oh, it's so hard. And he looked at me. He said, Chris, your new employer is a wealthy man because he's been doing his job a long time. And then he said this, learn all you can from him. Do what he says. Work hard. And keep your mouth shut. I remember him saying that. I'll never forget it. He said, he's been doing his job a long time and he's wealthy for it. Learn from him. Learn from him. Do what he tells you to do. And as you do, he will notice it. And keep, don't complain. Because he, he's hired. He hired. He pays you. To me, that's Humility. But if we take it on spiritual, God has been doing this thing called life a long time. A long time. The humble person will learn from him. The humble person will do what he says. The humble person will work hard. And the humble person before God will keep his mouth shut. That's what humility means. You recognize who has power, ability, and brilliance, and that really I don't, I'm learning. Some of you are like, well, why should I? And by the way, if you want to read, well, let's go to, before I go to the next point, look at Proverbs chapter 2, watch what it says. It's everything we just went over. Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, so hear, and inclining your heart to understanding, that means I'm going to figure this out, seeking. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, seek it. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Fear. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He soars up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So then the question is, why do I want that? I'm t I don't want that. It sounds hard. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. I don't want to seek. Give it to me. I 
I don't want to fear God because I, you're supposed to fear me. Why would I want wisdom? Scripture says wisdom, chapter 8, is better than gold. If we go to chapter 8, I want to show you, he, chapter 8 is in praise of wisdom. If you notice chapter 8, it says the blessings of wisdom. But it's the reasons why you want it. And 8.11 begins by saying wisdom's better than jewels. All that you desire can't compare with it. Why? I want money. Why is wisdom better than money? I want good looks. Why is it better than that? I just, why is wisdom so good? He gives us the reasons. The first one's found in 12 and through 16. I, wisdom, and this is called personification. Wisdom is always personified as a lady. The idea is that a mother that is caring and kind and will take care of you. And so wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs is personified in female imagery because like a good mother, she cares for you. So starting in verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings rule and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. So there's this idea of ruling, justice, title. Wrapping that all in a ball, the first thing you get when you have wisdom is respect. You get respect. That's the word I came up with because I think everybody's desperate for people to view them with significance. And I believe if you internally have wisdom, people will give you respect. Respect is a rare quality. Respect is something that people... They'll give it to you, but you can't demand for it to be given to you. It's something they want to give to you. You can't buy respect. You can't earn it. It has to come out of you. I mean, you've heard earning respect, but I can't demand you give it to me. You'll want to give it to me by viewing what comes out of my mouth and what comes out of my life. Wisdom directs the words of my lips, my hands, my feet, and my choices. People are desperate for this. People are desperate for titles. People are desperate for having others to listen to them when they talk. People are desperate when they walk in a room that people will give them respect. It's really incredible. I can't tell you how many people come into my office and say, people just don't listen to me. They don't respect me. And then in some sense, when people aren't respected, they get mad at other people for not respecting them. So it's weird because respect is something that I can't earn from you. I can't prove it. It just comes out of me and you want to give it. But if you don't give it to me, some people get mad. You got to give it to me. You want wisdom? Get, you want respect? Get wisdom. Get wisdom because when you are wise, out of your mouth will come words that people want to hear. When you are wise, you make decisions that are just right. When you are wise, people will come to you for advice and they'll say, what do I do? Man, that's a great, that is a great idea. You can't demand respect, but you can acquire it. And you acquire respect through wisdom. Second thing we find in 17 and 18, listen to this. I love those who love me. This is wisdom speaking. I love those who love me. 
And those who seek me, those who seek me, diligently find me. Remember the bucket, bring it deep into the well. You've got to seek it. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. Okay, what is that? Those two verses are what we would say is success. But I need to talk about success a second. So what comes with wisdom is success. But what is success? We have to be careful because Americans view success as a paycheck, a bank account, what's in your wallet. That's not success biblically. You've got to think from a Hebrew mindset. Success to a Hebrew. Do you remember when the, when the Jews came into the land, they were given lots of land. This is their inheritance forever. Success for them is a life that cultivates that inheritance and leaves a legacy that's stronger than it was left them. Success is wealth. Success is things. But success is what I would call its durability, sustainability, and legacy that's passed on. It's not something duct taped. I mean, you can have a great bank account, but it doesn't leave a legacy with your kids or with the community you're around. I mean, I know people who are rich, and then they go to a cabin, and they never talk to anybody, and then they die, and people just want their money. I can't wait till I get the will. And then sometimes, I've seen some of the worst as a pastor, will battles you've ever seen, where some of the money goes to none of the kids. It's crazy. It's crazy. This isn't money. This is legacy. And then I'll say this. Wisdom does not guarantee you will be wealthy. Remember, these are principles, not promises. Wisdom does not guarantee you will be wealthy, but without wisdom, it's almost a guarantee you won't be wealthy. Wisdom doesn't guarantee wealth, but if you don't have wisdom, I can guarantee you won't have wealth. The fool, the fool sends its money, burns holes in his pockets. The fool doesn't maintain his equipment. The fool doesn't know how to save. It's, we're going to talk about wealth and poverty later, but there is something to do that wisdom and wealth really are tied together. And so this book gives solid principles on building a life. And wealth includes spirit, it includes your soul, and includes a lasting legacy that's not duct taped together. I like what this verse says. Wisdom is all about finding favor from God. Go ahead and put that verse up there. 835, whoever finds me finds life. Finds life. The idea that life abundantly. One of the biggest misnomers in life is the idea that you must find yourself. Go find yourself. So people will go on these long road trips to find themselves, or they will quit their job and quit their life to go find themselves. This book says the key to tap in, the key to life is tapping into wisdom by hearing, seeking, fearing God. Then you'll have life. Then you'll find yourself. That's where life's found. But I have to warn you because some people don't want it. Some people do not want wisdom. They don't want to hear. It's too hard. I don't want to seek. I want to do things my own way. If that's you, go to Proverbs chapter 1. There's a warning. And I must tell you, 
This may be, in my mind, when you let it sink in, this may be the harshest warning given in Scripture to fools. This is terrible if you let it sink in. I remember the first time I read this. Proverbs, when I first was a Christian, Proverbs was the one book I could really understand right away. Other books take historical understanding, like Romans. I just didn't get it right away. But I started reading Proverbs. And this was the one, this verse, in a way, is the first verse that really woke me up. Because before I was a Christian, i got to tell you, I was a fool. I would do what my friends wanted. I would laugh at their stupid jokes. I would think life's about watching TV and sitcoms. And then I read this. And i got to tell you, this is one of the first things that really woke me up. It's a warning, starting in verse 20. And it says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street in a market. She, remember it's personification. It's always wisdom is seen as a woman. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy street. She cries out. So here's what wisdom looks like. Wisdom is like a town crier standing at the end of the road in one of those old, you can imagine one of those old villages. You got like a candle shop and a butcher shop on this side and over here is the postmaster general where the Olsons go to get their, you know, their sugar and bag. You know? And so ladies at the end of the street, she's crying out, yelling for people to listen. Listen! And what does she say? How long, how long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? I remember reading that. I was a simpleton. I was an idiot. I really was. And she's saying, how long do you like just being a fool? Doing stupid, laughing at stupid, foolish things. How long will you scoffers delight in your scoffing? That means when God tells me something, <laughs> yeah, right, God. How long are you going to do that? And then it says, how long will fools hate knowledge? And so there she is at the city square just saying, how long, huh? And the implication is, I'm waiting, but my patience is running out. God's mercy runs out. If I don't listen to Him, His mercy runs out. And so the first thing He says, or she says, is verse 23, turn at my reproof. You know what that phrase is? That's where Jesus gets the word repent. Or John the Baptist says repent. Turn at my reproof. That's repentance. Change. And if you do, I will pour out my spirit to you. Because and if how you respond to wisdom results in consequences. That's why we have the word consequences up there, because this book's full of them. But he's, this wisdom's going to give us the harshest consequence of all. Okay, what happens if I do repent and I turn to his word? I'll pour out my spirit to you. I'll give you my spirit. Spirit of wisdom and insight and understanding. I'll make my words known to you. They'll, they'll make sense. Because I've called and you've refused to listen. All right, what if I refuse to listen? This is when it gets really bad. This is the other side of the consequences. It gets bad. Because I've called and you've refused to listen, you've stretched out my, I have stretched out my hand and no one's heeded because you've ignored all my counsel and will have none of my reproof. Look at verse 26. 
Seriously, look at verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity, and I is wisdom, but I is the personification of God's wisdom, so I can be, God will laugh at your calamity. God will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. This goes the idea that they will call upon me and I will not answer. Why should God listen to our prayers when we don't listen to his word? Really, that's what he's saying. Because they hated knowledge and not choose the fear of the Lord, would, would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. I mean, he's, there's a lot of verses here. He's hammering this. Therefore they shall eat the fruits of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. and The complacency of fools destroys them. What is the judgment of God? You know what the judgment of God is? Is letting you have what you want. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dreaded disaster. That's wealth right there. Wealth is having enough and having more to help others. It's funny, 20 years ago, I was, I was invited by my pastor in Ohio. It was longer than that. It's 30 years ago. Not that long. I don't know how long ago it was. Between 30 and 20 years. I was invited to go with my pastor to Poland, Czechoslovakia, in Germany to visit our missionaries, and we are going to go visit them. And before I went, this guy said, hey, I know you're going to be preaching in different colleges. I've got a pair of shoes for you. Never wore them. A brand new pair of, at the time, they were um, penny loafers that were never wore. I used to love penny loafers. After this trip, you'll understand I can't stand them anymore. But he gave me a pair of, they were $150 penny loafers. They were nice, like burgundy leather, shined, incredible, impeccable. The soles were perfect. So I brought those. I couldn't bring much. I brought those for dress shoes, and I brought some gym shoes for walking around. And I remember looking in, and it said a 9, and I wear a nine and a half ten. but I said, oh, I'll be able to fit into that. I'll be able to fit into them. I put them on the first time. I looked in the mirror. They looked really good. They were, they were tight squeeze. I had on really thin socks. And in my heart, my heart said, Chris, just wear your normal dress shoes. Don't bring those. But I argued with myself, but Chris, these look so nice. But Chris, don't do it. But I did it. And we had to walk everywhere. Everywhere. And I'm telling you, the first day I had a little bit of a blister, but the second day it popped on my heel on both of them, my bloody socks. And they killed. And four days into it, I couldn't put them back on, so I had to wear my tennis shoes with my suit everywhere I went from that time on. And people said, well, are you a Hanyak from Cleveland, Ohio? Yep, I'm a fool. Proverbs is telling us, teaching us how to live right the first time. How to do things right the first time and not duct tape your life together. It's how to go to the next, it's kind of like doing the plumbing the right way. You don't just put gray duct tape around that. You get a nice new valve. Do it right the first time. Why? Because the truth is, the truth is, wisdom works. 
It's not true because it works. It works because it's true. It's funny, was that when I was doing some research for duct tape, I came across a really interesting, interesting article. Fifteen years ago, the Department of Homeland Security sent out a preparedness guide to help people survive against a chemical terrorist attack. It's from Department of Homeland Security. How do you survive against a chemical? So if there is like mustard gas or even radiation, how you survive? And two of the things they had on this kit were pre-measured plastic sheets to cover the doors, windows, and vents in a shelter and a roll of duct tape and scissors. And after it was sent out, they got all these calls that said no. No, the reason why, one, one critic, one expert said, such measures as taping windows and doors cannot protect against half of the poisonous gases out there, nor would they be a defense against radiation. And not only that, if you put that over your vents, you're going to suffocate. Duct tape will kill you. It's not a good answer. Get like a gas mask or something. That will work. Don't use duct tape and don't use plastic. And the point is, quit duct tape in your life and start living by wisdom. That's what this whole series is going to be about. And as we get ready to close, I'll pray, Mike, and you can bring up the praise team. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, we thank you for how kind you are to us. You give us insight and understanding and wisdom to know how to live in this world. And Father, I'm I'm sad to say I, I'm not sure many of us take your advice too often. I don't, and I need to do it more often. I just pray as we learn your book, specifically Proverbs, we will Father, apply your wisdom to our life. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for your patience. And thank you for warning us the truth. We love you, God, in Jesus' name.